For everything you want to know about real estate, it's time to take action. Schedule today. Ron and Don sit down.com is the way. Hey, everybody, it's the Ron and Don Show. Ronanddon.com. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 156 of the Ron and Don Show. We are live from the Les Schwab Studios. He's Ron. I'm Don. We are licensed brokers at Windermere. And, Ron, we have a brand new website that we are pumped about, right? How long is something brand new? Is it just new? Because brand new to me means it's brand new. This now is just new. It's uh, I think we've gone from brand new to new, but it's a brand new website, ronadonsitdown.com. If you're on your real estate journey, sometimes a life event just collides with you uh, and you weren't ready for it, but sometimes you have a long runway where you see it. Whatever situation you're in and you need a housing change, you can uh, just reach out to us on the website. We'll do a Zoom call with you and figure out if we can be of assistance to you. Yeah. Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, we've all heard about the new Bob Woodward book and the fact that President Trump has now come out and said, hey, I didn't want to panic the country. Uh, panic the country. I think that's kind of interesting. So we'll talk about that. Also, uh, 9-11 just happened 19 years ago. And a lot of people talk about the unity that we felt then. Why don't we feel it now? Let's talk about that. Before we talk about that, though, let's talk about this. And let's talk about the fact that football is back in America. It was very interesting last night to turn on a game and see fans socially distancing, to see the announcers socially distancing, and to see the players and the coaches not only socially distancing, but Andy Reid had a face mask on last night. He's trying to call the game. Somebody get that guy a windshield wiper, okay? Nonetheless, I don't want to digress. Let's talk about Thursday night football. Seahawks played on Sunday. We're recording that before that game. But, boy, what a game, right? The Seahawks. Oh, man, it's crazy, this game. Talk about it a little bit. And what was your feeling? This was what, what, what bothered me some, is that some of the players are making decisions like when they play the national anthem, we'll be out on the field, but we'll take a knee. Or when they play the national anthem, we're not going to participate. Or when they play the national anthem, we're going to stay in the locker room. Or we're not going to come out for the national anthem, but when they play a different type of anthem, then maybe we'll join you on the field. All different types of teams, players doing different types of things, also choosing to wear specific names on their helmets, cleats, things like this. And the Kansas City fans last night, Ron, they were not having it. The Boo Birds were out in force, even though the fan base is very, very small because they only let a couple fans in last night. I think 16,000. Yeah, 16,000, 17,000. That stadium obviously holds a lot more than that. So people were were spaced out. There's two things for me. A... It's just odd for me to see football. I haven't been following it as closely as usual uh, for obvious reasons. We're in a pandemic. I doubt they're going to make it through the season. Maybe they will. Who knows? But like, so it, it sort of snuck up on me where you actually told me, hey, football's on this week. I'm like, what? And so I, I kind of knew it but didn't know it. So it, it sort of took me by surprise. The Kansas City thing was interesting. So you have the, the defending Super Bowl champions. And you have two young, talented black quarterbacks, one for uh, the, the Texas team, one for the Kansas team in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. And so they came out to the middle of the field, and the two quarterbacks deliberately are standing elbow to elbow. And so if you saw that and you're an old-school NFL fan, 
you see two black quarterbacks next to each other, the future of the league. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is is an incredible talent. He just got a gigantic contract. Nobody can look at that guy and say that he's not an, an elite athlete with an elite feel for the NFL game. Uh, whereas a generation ago, you couldn't play quarterback if you were black because you didn't have the mental capacity, quote-unquote, uh, to play the position. So we see the future of the league, and you see players. J.J. Watt is right there, who's always been very progressive, very popular player. So he's a couple players down. Everyone's arm, linked arm in arm. They're trying to have a moment of unity, and the Kansas City field uh, uh, maintenance staff at, at the behest of, of the team, one end zone they had painted on the goal line, the back end goal line, uh, end racism, or no more racism, or something, I think it was end racism, and there was another phrase uh, that was painted in uh, on the other end of the field. So they're standing uh, linked arm in arm, and you're right. It was a mixed rea- reaction. Some people were clapping, but there were a lot of people that were booing uh, this show of unity, and, and that is bewildering uh, on a lot of different levels. And so it, I think it goes to show me, at least, that I'm in a bubble. I'm in a feedback chamber of voices that I know and trust and listen to, and that I am not in, in lockstep or in tune with your average person that lives in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm just not. And I even read a, an incredible article uh, about this game from a, an Acoma tribe member uh, li- lives in Kansas City. And the Acoma tribe used to be all throughout uh, you know, Oklahoma and uh, Kansas, all, all that area, Oklahoma, Kansas, uh, Missouri, all of those areas right in there. And so he basically said, yeah, it's great that the Washington team is now the Washington football team and they're going to change their name. Can we talk about the Chiefs now for a minute that are doing the tomahawk chop? He goes, that's racist. He said, in our culture, the arrowhead is a very specific symbol. It's not to be used uh, to adorn a helmet. Drum circles in the usage of drums is a very specific uh, meaning in our tribe. And then also um, using the headdress. The headdress is a super specific and honored tradition, and he compared it to it. I never thought about this. He said, a white guy dressing up in a headdress in a Kansas City Chiefs jersey, going to a game and doing the tomahawk chop uh, while the drums play, is tantamount to stolen valor. He said, if you see a person imitating, I went to Vietnam, I'm going to go buy a uniform at the Goodwill and pretend that I was in the military, you can be arrested for that. He said, the way a tribal, his ancestors, the way you earned your headdress was through battle and through valor. And if somebody wore that headdress that was not a warrior, that it's the same equivalence. And when I read this article, I was like, oh, my God, like he I can't refute any of these points. I cannot refute any of these points. I grew up uh, as an AFC West kid and you always look forward to playing the Raiders and you always look forward to playing the Chiefs because they just was a great rivalry. And so I never gave it a thought. Uh, And he said they've got a, a, a war, a paint, a horse that they run around before the game. So they, they've, they've co-opted all of the traditions that we had as an Acoma tribe members, and they're lampooning them to service a football game. 
sacred traditions. And so you, you think about that. So you have the disrespect of the players trying to their best to play a game and also show unity in the, in the mixed environment you just talk about. They're confused. They're, they're in their 20s. Like, do I kneel? Am I going to lose an endorsement? I don't want to get cut. How can I? Okay, we're going to do the arm lock. Cool. Like, that seems like it's right in the middle. It's not too controversial. So they're trying to figure that out. And, and then you have this other huge population of people of color in the middle part of the country. They're like, really? Do we still have to stand up and say you can't use a headdress and a drum? Yeah. Let, let me ask you this. Where are the owners in all this? They call themselves the owners. It's interesting that all the owners, except for one, are all white. Almost all the players, the starting players, are black. Uh, watch the next time they show the starting 22. They're almost all black. So you have these owners that own these teams. There's all this controversy. And you know who I see on the front lines? Are the players are the black players. And someone needs to take the pressure off of them. And you know who needs to take the pressure off them are the owners. Even Chris Collinsworth last night said, yeah, there's, there's, there's certainly something going on in America when it comes to the social fabric. But we're here to call a game, is what he said. We're here to call a game. The best thing the owners could do is say, you know what? We understand that these players, the only time they make money is when they play. That's the only time they get a paycheck. In the NFL, let's say you have a million-dollar contract. You make that million dollars over the 16, 17, 18, 20 games that you play. You don't make that million dollars in the summer. You don't get a paycheck after the season. You don't get a paycheck before the season unless you you your contract says you get some guaranteed money at some point. But you have to play in order to get paid. And even a lot of these contracts that Patrick Mahomes, for instance, signed, will he ever see all that money? Will Russell Wilson ever see all that money? They'll see the guaranteed money. But a lot of that money, if they get hurt, they'll never see. It'll never happen. It's boasting rights for them. I see so much pressure on these players. The best thing that the owners could do is say, you know what? We're going to take a timeout right now. We're not going to play these games. This country is in a pandemic. The CDC said people should not come together. And how are you coming together in a stadium when in a restaurant right now, you're supposed to sit outside and you're supposed to be with family, family members, your bubble, people that you live with. If you walk into a restaurant here in Seattle... Uh, They'll ask you to sit outside. If you're sitting inside, again, you have to be socially distanced. And you're supposed to be with people that you live with. And, of course, people are going to lie about So how how the hell do you think it's a good idea to take 17,000 people and put them in a stadium on Thursday night? That's greed. Because every single one of those dollars that comes from parking, the concessions, and those people walking through the door. And can you imagine what a ticket cost last night online to go to a Kansas City Chiefs game? Costs a lot of money. That's the owners right there padding their pockets. The best thing that they could do is say, you know what? We've made billions of dollars 
We got plenty of money in the bank. We're going to go ahead and just take some time off, but we're going to continue to pay our players. We're going to pay them not to play. Were the owners coming out today and saying to the Kansas City fans, hey, you know what you did last night is disrespectful. What you did last night is not okay. We told you that the tomahawk chop is under review. Why is it under review? Why don't the owners come out and say, the tomahawk chop is not something that we are going to be doing in our stadium. And, and literally, the owners should take the arrows. The owners should take the bullets. The owners have padded their pockets on the backs of black men mostly for a very long time. And when you see people reacting like that in the stands, because most of the people that go to football games even know that almost 75% of the players are black, almost 90% of the participants that come to watch are white, and almost all the owners are white. It is time for the owners to step up. It is time for the owners to go down on the field and get on your knees. If you're going to apologize, is this really Roger Goodell, what we saw last night? Is this the NFL apologizing? No. They have a workforce right now that needs to make money, and they know that. They have them leveraged. And you know what they should do? Is they should let the players not play, turn the television screens off, and go, you know what, America? We're going to take a moment. Because some of you still don't believe that there's an issue and a problem in this country. And you think it's okay to not make room for young black athletes to feel differently than you do. I was stunned by that. I was shocked by that. And I thought it was a damn shame last night that the rest of the world was watching and those fans thought, and it wasn't a couple of them, thought it was okay to boo. And then you go out on social media today and you see, and it's all white people. I didn't see one black person fanning the flames. They were all agreeing with what happened in Kansas City last night. And I'm going to tell you right now. And if I lose a listener and a client over this, I don't care. What happened last night in Kansas City is not okay. It is time for white people to be curious about what black people are going through and brown people are going through. And specifically what black and brown women are going through in this country. It is time to take a stand. We didn't see that in Kansas City last night, and that's a damn shame. It's the Ron and Don Show. We will see you on the other side of this. Hey, it's Ron and Don here for Les Schwab. We know that Les Schwab carries one of the biggest selections of tires in the West, but those tires are just part of what Les Schwab does to keep you safe on the road. They show you how your shocks, alignment, battery, brakes, they all work together. And when those vital parts are properly maintained, the tires on your vehicle just last longer. You get better gas mileage, and that means you're saving money. And Don, I love to save me some money. Yeah, you know, there's something called a circle of trust with your friends. There's also called something, uh, it's a circle of safety. And that's what Les Schwab is concerned about. So when you stop by there, you want to make sure everything is in alignment, working together, because it keeps your family safe. And also, it helps you with your gas mileage, right? This is what you need to do. Stop by Les Schwab Tire Center. How do you find one near you? There's 85 in Western Washington. Just go to LesSchwab.com. That's LesSchwab.com and get a free pre-trip safety check and make sure your circle is safety is ready to roll this fall. Les Schwab, let's say it together. Doing the right thing, it matters. We had multiple offers 
$50,000 more than the asking price. He had no contingencies, so I jumped on that one. When it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what Peter did. I moved over to Kitsap County across from Seattle, and it was becoming more difficult to manage the triplex. So I thought maybe I should check with them about whether it would be a good time to sell. When we first sat down, they showed me what property was selling for in my neighborhood. They had several suggestions on you know, when we should go on the market, what we needed to do to get ready to go on the market. And because I lived over in Kitsap County, it was going to be difficult for some of the general contractor type things. So I said, well, if you guys will do that, I'm, I'm ready to put it on the market. So they took over when the landscape person and didn't do a very good job in their opinion, they came over and redid it. (laughs) And they didn't charge me anything for that. So I, I was very thankful for that. We went on the market. We had multiple offers. We had one fella that offered $50,000 more than the asking price. And in addition, he had no contingencies. So I jumped on that one. The important thing to me was my son is in college and he was getting ready to go to the UW and I've been renting him one of my apartments so I needed to find a a replacement for him. Ron uh, basically did a check for the areas that I said I was interested in buying. He gave us a whole list of uh, properties that were available. He came with us Sunday morning and we looked at probably five different places, made an offer on one but didn't get that one, made an offer on a second one and did get that one. And uh, it was just, it was a very smooth process. I would very much work with them again. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. You're listening to your old friends Ron and Don on the Ron and Ra- on the Ron and Don Radio Network, man. <laughs> All right, you guys, thanks for listening to episode 156 of the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. We are live from the Les Schwab Studios. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Bob Woodward's book. Uh, and it seems like Bob Woodward talked to the president over a dozen times. He taped these conversations. The president knew they were being taped. And now what the president is saying is, hey, Bob, the reason why I downplayed the pandemic, I didn't lie. The reason I downplayed I didn't want there to be a panic in this country. So that is a story that the president is sharing today. He can't deny he said those things because it's on tape. This book is coming out in dribbles, which is a good way to do it if you're an author like Bob Woodward. And then some people on the other side would say, hey, Bob, why didn't you release this book after the election? Why are you releasing it right on the doorstep of the election? Are you trying to have some kind of say as far as what happens in November. What's your take on Bob's book? We've interviewed him before. He'll take you all the way back to Richard Nixon. And this isn't the first book that he uh, has written about this president. This is now the second book, and the book that's coming out is called Rage. And he is uh, about a thousand times smarter than I'm ever going to be, Bob Woodward, an incredible intellect. Well, there's there's two things going on for me w- with this. Is one... 
is it the thread that you put out there that like, oh, these books are politically motivated and they're going to make a sea change happen. I don't. If anyone is paying attention, you don't need a book to help you make up your mind about the current state of affairs in the United States. If you were like cruising along and all of a sudden the Bob Woodward book is like, oh my gosh, really? Wow, like that just changed my mind. Then you're really not paying attention and you're probably not the type of person that's gonna read a 500 page Bob Woodward book because usually his books are, are a doorstop. So like all these folks that think that these books, the the Mary Trump book and the John Bolton book and the, you know, this book by Woodward now, if books had changed the culture, it would already been changed by now. You don't need a book to just look at Twitter Look at your neighborhood. Look at what we just talked about in segment one to see the trend lines happening in America. So I, I reject that notion that somehow the book is going to be a difference maker. Because what 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 could we learn that would be more shocking than everything we've already learned? Going all the way back to the Access Hollywood tape and forward. Is there something that we could learn or something that the the president could say where all of a sudden you're now going to go, oh, okay, now I get it. Even in uh, two segments ago when you talked about the suckers and the losers, you and I both got emails. We haven't even shared them with each other, but it's like immediately to the defense of, oh, well, just anonymous sources. I can say you and Don are, are you know, gay lovers. I'll, get, I'll go get four anonymous sources. It's you don't like, need anonymous sources. We are gay lovers, and we've been very <laughs> open about that for decades, and no one will listen to us. We are gay lovers. Mark it down. Write it down. Yeah. So you have uh, th- that sort of situation happening. So it, it really has become a cult of personality. And the, the, now let's, I'm going to shift gears into the actual facts of what this means. The fact that a head of state with the resources that we have and the influence we have in, on the world stage actively went out of his way to say, to know one thing behind the scenes and say the exact opposite in front of the scenes. And you just can go to the tape, go to a press briefing on those dates and he is saying exactly the opposite of the thing that he told Bob Woodward that he knew. That cost actual American lives. And it, it's not lost on me that we are right around that September 11th just happened. And, and, and this is going to seem crass here for a minute, but just go sheer numbers with me. We, we lost around three to 4,000 U.S. lives. Uh, and I've been to the museum and I cried. Uh, on 9-11. And, and was, I will just say we've lost many more lives because the people that worked down on the pile Correct. since then and on cancer the day and everything of. else. So we've really lost tens of thousands of lives as a result of that. And then we can multiply that by the wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, around the world. Uh, I'm just so, going to say on that specific day, yeah. just to draw this parallel. So well, let's call it 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, uh, whatever your, your number that you're comfortable with. This pandemic in America... Well, I don't think we should be, and I'll just push back. I don't think we should be comfortable on that with any with any number because these souls aren't aren't numbers. So I understand. I'm just saying, in terms of the argument, I'm trying to put forward. Okay. The president actively knowing the truth and not presenting it that way cost at least a hundred thousand lives 
you go through and you look at people that do this professionally, that are epidemiologists and that study this stuff. The United States is like, is it 4% of the world's population? Yeah. And we have 22% of the COVID deaths. And we consume 80% of everything there is to consume. So we are, consumed, we are so. outpacing yeah. by a factor of like, what is that? I'm doing math on my feet. 500% above other countries in terms of deaths. So the, the, the decision that he made to actively mislead the American people about the severity of this uh, pandemic cost a multiple of lives, however you want to slice it, a multiple of lives of what happened on 9-11. And, and we, we have remembrances of 9-11 as we should. And you and I have done those year after year after year. And so I'm not saying that they're the same thing. What I'm saying is the loss of life and the cavalier attitude with which he said that to Bob Woodward should be appalling to everyone. And you shouldn't have to read a book to arrive at that conclusion. These are actual people that lost their actual life and their loved one died and their mother died and their brother died uh, because, and we've seen all the stories because someone wanted to believe the president of the United States was credible in what he was saying. And so therefore they made life choices to put themselves at risk. Look no further than Washington state, the church choir that came together and said, we're going to believe our government. We're going to start to practice our choir. And what it was like 15, 20 people died just in that one choir because they trusted the message from the bully pulpit known as the, the white house briefing room. And so that, to me, is the tragedy. I don't need to read uh, Bob Woodward's book, even though I bet it's uh, got a lot of great info in there. I don't need to read that book to know that that's negligence on the highest order. Yeah. Here's what pisses me off. He didn't want to create a panic. It's early December. It's a beautiful day in Hawaii. Just like on 9-11. 19 years now. That was a beautiful day in the United States, too. A beautiful day in New York and in Washington, D.C. Coast to coast, a beautiful day. A beautiful day to fly. It was a beautiful day in early December. A beautiful day in 1941. And we all know what happened at Pearl Harbor. The president had a fireside chat. He told the American people exactly what happened. And at that point in time, the American people knew that we were going to have to fight a war on two fronts. We we're going to have to fight in the Pacific. And we are going to have to become an ally, just like we were in World War I and World War II. Let me ask you this question. Did the American people panic? Did we panic after the Battle of Midway when we only had three and a half aircraft carriers? No, you know what happened? Rosie Rivet went to work in this country. All the factories that men left so they could go fight those wars, their wives, their grandmothers, sisters, they entered into those factories along with many, many African Americans. That's why Detroit, 
So many black people live in Detroit. They lived in the South. They came North to start building bombers and planes in places where we used to build cars like the Model T. They started building things like the B-29. Women in this country, we had three and a half aircraft carriers in the Pacific. They built 114 aircraft carriers. Did they panic? No, they went to work. And there was a lot more to panic about. We had the 14th largest Navy at the time when Pearl Harbor happened. And we had to build a dominating Navy in a matter of a year to again fight a war in the Pacific and fight a war in Europe. And we had to come and turn the tide. And so millions of Americans went to work. You freak out because there's some smog and fog over South Lake Union right now. They would turn the lights out at night. You'd write to your dad, he'd never write back. Because he had lost his life in a B-29 somewhere in the Pacific. You knew somebody in one of those planes. You knew one of those doughboys. You knew someone that died on the beaches of Normandy. Did America panic? No. They just got to it. And in three and a half years, we turned the tide. That's what Americans do. Americans don't panic. Did we panic after 9-11? Was there panic in the streets? There certainly was. But within weeks, months, and years, we responded. Not with panic, but with determination. You know what I learned from that? American people can handle the truth. And for this president to see or think that we can't handle the truth, that we're too stupid, that we're too dumb, that we'll panic... You know what makes me panic is when I get anxiety because I know someone's not telling me the truth. And now we know. Now we know that this president, and I don't care how you spin it, is a liar, liar, pants on fire. Americans don't panic. We get to work. We get determined. And we turn the tide. We will turn the tide during this pandemic. We will turn the tide during these forest fires. We turn the tide after 9-11. We will turn the tide. We don't need to be kowtowed to by a rich New Yorker who was given his money that has never lived in the basement of his house. He's never driven a truck. He's never been a maid. He's never had to work three jobs. He's never had to sit at home and wonder as a single parent, how am I going to work, maintain unemployment, work at night, cut hair in the bathroom? How am I going to pay for childcare? How am I going to educate my child because I'm now their teacher? How am I going to do this? He doesn't have a parent in Kirkland, Washington, in an old folks home that he can't visit. He has never known what it's like to be hungry. He has never known what it's like to not have money. He has never known true fear. We have. And he's going to tell you and me, I didn't want you to panic. 
The only panic I'll have is if he is given another term as the president of the United States, then I will panic. In the meantime, I'm glad the truth is out. I'm glad the world's best minds are working on this. I'm glad the world's best minds have come together and written a letter and said, hey, no matter how much pressure is placed on us to have a vaccine out there before the elections, we're not going to get pushed around. That's the truth. You and I can handle the truth. Do we got to battle this pandemic for the next five years? We'll do that. Do we have three and a half aircraft carriers after the battle at Midway and we got to build 114? We can do that. Do we have to storm the beaches of Normandy knowing that millions of Americans will die? We can do that. We did that. You walk through the graveyards of those 18-year-old boys. They didn't panic. They showed up. That's what we do as Americans. That's what we did at Pearl Harbor. That's what we did after 9-11. And that's what we will do now. And damn it, we better do it in November. It's the Ron and Don Show only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, you guys. If you live in the Pacific Northwest, our whole economy is directly affected by technology, right? One of the big technology hubs now, along with San Francisco and places up in Canada. Here's the thing. There's a great, great podcast you should check out. It's called Geek Wire, right? What is Geek Wire? Yeah, Geek Wire is right here in, in Seattle. It covers everything you need to know about tech, and it interprets it for you because a lot of times you're like, I have no idea what that means. So if you like our, our podcast, we invite you to check out Geek Wire. You can subscribe to Geek Wire for free on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Check out Geek Wire. Ron and Don, from radio to real estate. When you're ready to grab a cup of coffee and sit down with the guys, go to ronanddonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, thanks for listening to episode 156. Sorry I got fired up there, and if you uh, love Donald Trump, uh, that's okay. And I, I felt still- like the, 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 the Pith helmet with the American flag behind <laughs> you was like a fan. Yeah. It was a little much. Yeah. Well, you know what? That... It really set me off because whether you're Republican or Democrat, we as Americans, we don't panic. We get to work. Uh, And I don't appreciate some rich New Yorker uh, painting me or anybody out there like it. I just don't appreciate it. I don't. Some final thoughts here. Uh, We are looking at South Lake Union right now. I could see the boats yesterday. I can't see them today. Uh, There are fires, as we were talking, and homes being destroyed in places like Bonnie Lake. Uh, throughout of wa- throughout of all of eastern Washington and now in western Washington, uh, we have the governor that came out yesterday and said there have been there's been more fires set in the last 12 days than we've had in the last 12 years uh, in Washington. Lots of fire here. We see this in California. We see people losing their homes in the midst of a pandemic. We see people booing black players, young black players on Thursday night football. Uh, we see that there is a bit of a race war. We see an election where we had a president that just lied to us about a pandemic, and now that's been exposed. 
We see deep division, or at least it feels like deep division in this country. We're at 11% unemployment. Uh, The downtown core of Seattle has been filleted, along with many downtown cores around the country. People feel like uh, there will be some kind of correction after the election, and certainly some kind of recession, if not a depression. What are your final thoughts? Is It seems like if you're reading the book of Revelation, uh, it kind of feels like the end times a little bit, right? It, uh, there's a very apocalyptic uh, overlay happening right now. And I just want to hopefully encourage some people out there to really, and I'm talking to myself as well in this, like take care of your mental health. Like this is stressful. It's okay to have a down day. It's okay to not to feel off kilter. It's okay to feel out of sorts. Um, you do look around and like, we're literally on fire and figuratively on fire. And so for many people, I think they're struggling with that. We talked with, uh, we have a, a client we're working with named Debbie that's like, hey, she works in mental health and there's a lot of suicides happening right now and we don't usually talk about that. Uh, you see a lot of people that are self-medicating, a lot of people that are, they're blowing circuits and they don't know what to do uh, in this situation. It's, it's very weird. It's the first time in our lifetimes that something like this has happened. And so I'm not a mental health professional, but I will say this, um, if, if it causes you more distress to read the news, then don't read the news right now. Um, you can open up your window and see that there's smoke in the sky. Like you don't need to like obsess over the maps and look everywhere uh, unless you do, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and you don't need to wade into, you, you know the temperature on Black Lives Matter. You know the temperature on the political front right now. Maybe step away from Facebook for a while. Maybe step away from the news for a while. Go get a, a book that's not about politics and read that. Or watch a movie that's a fantasy movie that happens on another planet so that you can get away from this planet for a minute. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, you know, went out and went scuba diving. It's like she's socially distanced. She had a scuba tank on. She just wanted to, like, get away, like, literally go underwater. And so, like, find your thing uh, and, and go do that for a minute because this, this is a lot. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot to digest. It's a lot of things that you can't control, and that feels very overwhelming. And so if you're feeling a darkness right now and feeling like your life is on fire, reach out to someone. Just I have a very good friend that we, we do a Zoom call every Thursday now, and we just tell it how it is. Hey, man, I struggled this week. Like, Just find a friend that you can talk to, especially men where you don't have that built in. Call your friend and just say, hey, can we do a, a meeting once a week? Because I just need to talk to somebody. Yeah. I love that. I have a group of guys I have breakfast with, and we haven't been together in four months. Uh, and we got together uh, today, and it was important. I call my mother now every day, um, see if she's okay. And she was having a down day the other day, and it was, it was on 9-11. And she's like, I'm profoundly sad. And I'm like, I'm profoundly sad too. And I think it's okay to be profoundly sad. I think that's part of, part of honoring uh, the memory of what happened 19 years ago. Um, I saw a picture of engine 119 or 118, and it was going across the bridge. And you could see these six firefighters aboard. When it, and you see that one tower was down, the other tower was still up. And they were part of the 343 that were rushing toward that tower. Uh, and 118 wouldn't make it out. So when you see that... Um, I think it's okay to honor that. 
And though I don't think we're supposed to live in depression and perpetuity, I do think it's important because this is our generation to take the time to honor it and also explain it to our kids as best we can. And in my case, as best I can explain it to a 10 year old. Remember this, if you're looking for purpose right now, your purpose may just be to pick up the phone and call your mom uh, and just listen, just listen. You don't have to have answers. You don't have to have something incredible to say. It's just, it's calling your parent or calling a friend or calling your neighbor and checking in. And really when we're doing that, it's a little selfish because we're actually checking in on ourselves too. As I heard Ed Troyer say the other day, uh, down in Pierce County, one of our good friends, Pierce County Sheriff's Department, and they're dealing with a lot with all these fires down in Bonnie Lake and our thanks to all the first responders down that way. He said, you know what? It's okay to not be okay. What's not okay is to not tell someone about it, Right. And so we're going to be talking about that uh, in some upcoming shows. Keep this in mind. Keep this in mind. I hear so many, and I don't hear this from black Americans. I hear it from white Americans. And I'll be careful how I say this because I don't want to be preachy. I also don't hear, I've never heard this from a Native American. I have Native Americans in my family. Uh... And I grew up around Native Americans. My late sister's husband, Native American, uh, which makes his kids Native American. We grew up around the Navajo Nation. Over a quarter of a million strong. Used to be millions of the Navajo. Now about a quarter million still with us. And this epidemic right now is ravaging the Navajo Nation. You know what the Navajo Nation has never said? I wish all these white people that brought COVID-19 to our shores, I wish they would get the hell out of our country. Black people, four million of them that were brought to our shores, brought here, 400 years of slavery. I've never heard a black person say, you know what, you don't like it, get the hell out of our country. The only people I hear that from are from white people. You don't like it, get the hell out of my country. Think about that. the Ron and Don Show. Keep your head up, your shoulders back. We'll see you next time. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, it's G-Force O'Neill, brains of this operation, and the voice of the Ron and Don Show. Well, that's it. Show's over. We'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network.